Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight. My name is James Wallner. This is Season 7, Call Me Shelley, The Mysterious Disappearance of Michelle Julson. How would you get abducted from 140 American to 300 block East Broadway without somebody seeing it on a Tuesday afternoon? I think something happened to her. I think somebody took her. You need to call the police and you need to get yourself a protection order. Burnt Creek Club. Bartender at the Burnt Creek Club. Told her anytime after two o'clock she could stop by and pick him up and she never did show. And I was specifically looking for that car, Shelly's car was one of the group allegedly harassing Shelley at the bar. But there was two, two railroad workers, and I thought they talked to one. In this episode, an interview with Tony Holm, former bartender at the Burnt Creek Club. Tony Holm lives in Wyndham, Minnesota. I spoke with him recently about Shelley and her disappearance. Here he is. Hello. Mr. Holm, this is James Walner with the Coda Spotlight Podcast. Yes, sir. Is this still a good time for an interview? Sure. We greatly appreciate it. First question, have you listened to the podcast or no? I've listened to one, two, and three so far. Okay. So you've heard your name and understand that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I have a lot of questions for you, but con- since you've listened, what would you like to say about our reporting on Shelley's case so far? Oh, I don't know. Not much to say. There's a lot of drama in it. Do you feel like it's overly dramatic compared to what was going on? Yeah, I think so. Okay. You want to elaborate on that? Oh, I don't know. Just It just seems like one story gets to another person and the story gets bigger and things like that. But then that's just my opinion. When I spoke to you last Saturday, um, you said you'd received my letter and the email. Uh, you didn't, I didn't hear from you. Well, I just thought it was the one podcast, and by the time I had gotten it, after a while, it was too late anyway. I didn't know that this was going on for how many weeks. So you thought you'd missed the, the yeah, whole thing? I just thought it was done. Do you mind sharing like some of your background, where you were born and where you grew up? Well, I was born in Trill City, South Dakota. And I was there until I moved to Bismarck and went to college there for a couple of years. And then I've been in Wyndham ever since. What kind of person was Shelley? What, what can you tell us about Shelley Jolson, the way you remember her? She was just a fun, nice person. Would you call her an honest person? I would say so. Yeah. Was she funny? Was she laid back? Yeah, she was a lot of fun going out and having fun together. You know, sometimes one time we went to a movie, another time we went to the bar and played blackjack and just done, just went out and relaxed and had some fun. She was relaxed. She'd get a little upset once in a while. She had a little bit of a temper in her, but nothing serious. Sometimes I babysat Jaden once in a while when I was off and she had to work. Oh, I didn't know that. That's news to us. Tell us about that. How was how was that for you? 
Oh, there were like some Sundays when she'd have to work in like on a Sunday morning and I didn't have to work that morning. So I'd probably watch him for the day while she was at work. Well, that was nice of you. No, she was a good friend and needed help. Yeah, we have here that Jaden's father said that you had helped Shelly move into that trailer. Do you recall that? I don't think I did much helping her move, maybe a little bit, but most of her friends helped her move before. So in I have full access to the police file, and I want to get your input on this, because we've got sort of two versions. On the one hand, we've heard that Michelle or Shelly, you know, uh, broke up with you, and she didn't, she was trying to end things. Uh, others, the other side is that you broke up with her and were trying to end things. And can you just tell us about the dynamics of that relationship right before she went missing? Well, I broke kind of broke up with her. We we went out for a while, but like I said, she'd have a little bit of temper once in a while that I thought was kind of uncalled for. And I just said, I'd still like to be good friends. I just don't think we should go out together no more. And we just kind of remained friends after that. Was her temper focused around a certain subject or? Oh, just, just sometimes she'd get mad at some of the silliest things. Of course, she probably was drinking at the time, too. So probably had a few drinks at the time. There's a, she'd just get mad at some. Oh, like one time I was on a pool league and I was playing pool and she knew when my pool leagues were there. And she'd come out there and shoot my butt out for being out. And I said, I'm on a pool league. You can stay here and join us if you want. And no, I'm going to go party with my friends. And I said, fine, it's okay. But I said, I really don't need that kind of action again. That's not really kind of embarrassing. If I understand you correctly, she was giving you a hard time for being out with your friends? Well, I was on pool league. So I wasn't out with my friends. I was out shooting pool, pool league. So one of the interviews... Maybe you heard this in the podcast. In one of the interviews, police did. She told a friend that you had threatened her with a gun or threatened to get a gun and harm her. Does that ring a bell? No, I would never have done that to her. What about the story that we've heard again from Shelly's friends, having her told them this, that you would show up drunk at her trailer, quote unquote, wanting her back? No, I never did anything like that. There's another comment she made to friends that. She was afraid you might get drunk and harm her. Were, were there ever any fights of that? No. What, what's your comment on that? No, we, it's, we, when we put together, we probably got drunk, but I'd never harmed her or anything to her. She might have got mad at me once in a while and just try to calm her down and get her to relax. But no, I would never do nothing to her, and I never showed up at her place drunk. I wouldn't come there unless I was invited. On the other side of, you know, po- more positive things we've heard about your relationship, some one of her friends said that you were her confidant. How does that sound to you? Mm, well, she, she had a problem. She'd always give me a call or if she was in trouble, she'd call me. Do you recall what kind of problems she might have had? Or Well, the one that stands out that I heard in this podcast, uh, number, this last podcast, number three, was when she got her and... Some other people were in the swimming pools with their clothes on and got kicked out of the motel. She called me to come and get her because she was all wet and it was cold out that night. So So are you saying Shelly was one of the people in that swimming pool? Yeah, probably like, I don't know, a few days before she disappeared.
Okay, I need to interject here and explain or perhaps remind us all about this swimming pool occurrence. Soon after Shelley's disappearance, Bismarck police received information that in the early morning hours of Wednesday, August 3rd, at about 3 a.m., so that's about 15 hours after Shelley dropped off her son, two railroad workers, who were in the company of two women, were thrown out of the swimming pool at the Comfort Inn Hotel. And you'll recall that Shelley's car was later found at the Comfort Inn parking lot. When an employee at the Comfort Inn saw Shelley Julesen's photo in the missing persons flyer, they stated something like, hey, that looks like one of the women who were thrown out of the pool. As I summarized in a previous episode, Bismarck PD did speak with the two railroad workers, the two men who were thrown out of the pool, and both men said that neither of the two women were Shelley Julesen. I should note here that the men were questioned by police at the time the WeFest sighting of Shelley in Minnesota was in full tilt and seemed to be dominating the investigative focus and efforts. At least that's my interpretation of it after reading the police files. For now, let's return to my interview with Tony Holm, but after the interview, we will revisit this swimming pool occurrence again, and you'll hear the full police report from interviews with the two men who were thrown out of the pool. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. Let me just ask you this again. Are you saying... I don't know who she was with, but I know she was in a swimming pool with some friends and got kicked out of it. You recall this specifically? Yes, because she called me. It was, I don't know, midnight or so, and I went to pick her up and brought her to my place and dried her clothes. And then she stayed the night, and I took her home the next morning. Or I don't... I don't remember if I took her to her car or home, but then I know that was in the police report when they interviewed me that time. And this occurrence, according to the police report, is later that evening, Wednesday morning. Does that sound right? Yeah, this happened like on a Sunday night, because I heard that too, and it's not like it happened after she was missing, and this was before she was missing. Unless there's more than one event. uh, Well, that's when I heard that on the podcast. That sure sounded strange to me. But you recall her getting, quote-unquote, kicked out of a swimming pool. Yeah, they all get kicked out of a swimming pool for being in there with their clothes on. That's what she told me. Moving on a little bit, it's all over the police reports. That Sunday night, early Monday morning, she calls you at 3 a.m. That was pretty common for her to be calling, like, that time of the night? Oh, once in a while, she had a problem or she'd been drinking. Do you recall that specific conversation? Not really, because it seems like that Sunday night was the night I picked her up. She called me, and then that's when I picked her up, because she was in, in that swimming pool when she got kicked out, kicked out of the swimming pool. That's kind of how I remember it, but it's been a long time ago. Or, I mean, to be honest, there are I've read mistakes on dates in this police file before. That it's possible the police file has the wrong date. Maybe I'll go back and look. Because it seems to me that Sunday night before she went missing was when she called me. And I'd say, I don't know, between midnight and 1 o'clock. I can't remember what time it was. 
I did went, picked her up, brought her to my place and dried her clothes and everything for her. And, and she spent the night and, and took her home the next morning. Yeah, I mean, we know that she was out all night that Sunday night and didn't pick up Jaden from the babysitter until 1030. So she would have had the opportunity to be with, at your place. I mean, the only thing that doesn't align perfectly is is when this swimming pool thing. But she was seen talking to two railroad workers at 1 a.m., and we don't know what happened after that, but if your memory was to be correct and the swimming pool thing actually happened that night, that would explain quite a bit. I mean, she was seen with these two guys, two, two um, railroad workers. So moving on to, I guess, the day of the disappearance, August 2nd, you've said it's in the police report that you spoke with her from 10 a.m. to about noon and then 30 minutes later she's dropping off Jaden and is never seen again do you have any idea what you were talking about for two hours no I can't remember I've been thinking about that too what we talked about I know I talked to her and but I do not recall what we talked about or anything was that common for you guys to talk that long you think she talked I listened so she would talk about her life, basically, or? Oh, yeah, life or things going on, or I just, she just kind of rambled on about different things and just let her talk, made her feel better. I want to move on to the alleged, well, the harassment that she said she was getting. So this is the stuff that is in the police report. She was being called names at the Burnt Creek Club while working. She said you told friends to do that. Her car had been keyed. She was getting hang-up phone calls night and day at home. She felt like she was followed home from Burnt Creek Club. She got some flat tires a couple times. And then there was a woman driving through the trailer park yelling out the window, leave him alone. Do you recall her getting harassed at the Burnt Creek Club? Not that I recall. I The only part I remember, she told me that one time, she had heard that Don Schaefer had said some things about her. And Don Schaefer was a good friend of mine, so I asked him right away the next day about it. And he says, no, he didn't. He's, he talked about some things, but it was not like that. Whoever heard it completely turned it around. So I told Shelly about it. I don't know, a couple nights later, we went out to the Burnt Creek Club together. Don Schaefer was there and some of his friends that all knew about it. We sat back in the pool room. We talked about it. He apologized to her, and we sat there. We drank, and we played pool the whole night. So that thing I thought was all taken care of. I didn't know it got blown that far out of proportion. Yeah, I mean, this information was collected after she went missing and recorded in police files. So. These would be recollections of her friends being told this by Shelley. And well, I know I had, well, this was I don't know what, five years ago. Somebody from the police department called me and asked me questions and told me about this. And I said, no, that wasn't right. And I think about three years ago, another detective called me about Shelley and, and told him the same thing. But yeah, that was one of my questions when you were spoken to by law enforcement last. So three years ago. Mm hmm fairly recent. Yeah. You offered to pay a deductible for her, the damage to her car, get, her car was keyed. And yeah. you, you told police back then that you were just trying to help her out. Well, yeah. Well, I helped her pick out that car. It was a very nice car. She and I went car shopping one night and she seen this car and we took it out and drove it. And 
She kind of fell in love with it and says, well, if you can afford it, I guess it's up to you. It's your car. So it was a very nice car, and I was sad to see somebody would key a car like that. I said, well, I'd help to pay the deductible if you want to get fixed, just to help her out because I knew she didn't have any money. I assume you guys had conversations about who was keying her car. Do you remember any thoughts on that? We talked about it, but I wouldn't have no idea who would have done it. Nobody that I would known would have done it. It seems that Shelley suspected Jenny, as you've heard in the podcast. What can you tell us about? Yeah, Jenny would never do that. Can you tell us a little more about Jenny or why you believe that? Oh, I don't. Jenny was just a hardworking person who was trying to make a living. And she had plenty of kids to take care of. She didn't have time for running around keying cars and going out doing that stuff. Okay, moving on to Kevin. Did you ever meet Kevin Woodworth? No. Do you have anything to add about anything, Shelly, you told you about the situation there with Kevin? or Pretty much all the same stuff I heard on the podcast. I never witnessed anything or seen anything, just stuff she told me. And it was all about the same stuff I heard on the podcast that you had. Do you think she was afraid of him, or? I don't know. I didn't think she was afraid of him. Sometimes she was pretty pissed off at him, but. Oh, you took a polygraph test, correct? Yes, I did. Why don't you, would you mind telling us about that? Just the, the I mean, the experience, that must have been kind of weird. No, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't a suspect or anything, because I had nothing to do with it. I was worried about the girl. So I had nothing to hide. Personally, I would, even if I was innocent, I'd be a little nervous taking a polygraph test. Oh, yeah, they are a little nerve-wracking. Not the most pleasant thing I wanted to do. This is what I want to ask you now, is you left North Dakota three weeks after she disappeared. That's correct, yeah? Or is that correct? Yeah, well, I had planned on this when Shelly and I were going together that once I graduated from college, I was moving back to, I was moving to Minnesota. So you were studying there in Bismarck? Yes. What What did you study? Business management. So you're saying that leaving at that time was something you had planned all along? Yes, that was all planned like six months before that already. One of my uh, questions was going to be, have you ever seen her or heard from her since? No, I have not. I thought... She might pop up some kind of place here in Minnesota sometime, but, but no, I have not seen or heard from her since. The part I can't figure out, where was her car for four days? Because that's a car that you just do not miss. You would notice it. So it was not sitting at that motel for four days. It had to be put there the day they found it. Just a quick note here. Shelly's car was found six days after she vanished, not four days after. And why why they comfort in? Do you think? I don't know because I know she she worked there, but why it was there that I don't have a clue. That's that's the part that still baffles me. Where was that car for four days? Well, um, I'm gonna have to ask you this question, even though I know what you're gonna say. But did you kill Shelley, or do you know who did? No, I did not, and I do not know who did or who would have did shelly ever talk about her father-in-law kevin's father no not much do you think shelly would 
run off and abandon her son? I don't know. I've asked my question that I don't know how many thousands of times. I don't think she would have, but then maybe things, I didn't know how bad her financial situation really was, but maybe it was bad enough. She Maybe she thought he would be better off or things would be better off. I don't know. That thought crosses my mind except for that car missing for four days. That's the part that puts a different thinking on that. That's the only part that baffles me. That was what I, when I started before, when I was speculating all the possible scenarios was if that two hour conversation you were having with her, I thought, well, maybe Tony helped her disappear. Like you guys. No, I I wouldn't have done that. No, it it just, she just talked about stuff that bothers her. Like most of the phone calls and and she just talked about things that she did and stuff like that. She, Sometimes she just liked to talk when things were bothering her, not about anything in particular. It made her feel better. She was very, very broke that week. In fact, her, I think her phone got turned off that week, oh. later that week. So when the police inspected the trailer, they found a bunch of her overdue bills and notices in the garbage can. Like To me, that indicates a person who has no plan on paying these bills. Like if I get an overdue bill. Yeah, you can put it away. So put it in a drawer or something, not in the catch up sometime along the line. This is almost like she's saying, I'm never paying these things. Yeah. Well, that was kind of my first thoughts too, that maybe things were so bad. She just decided to skip the country. Just, Just that car thing bothered me the most. That, some of that that part just don't quite fit into the deal. Yeah, because potentially she could sell it and, and make some money there. Well, I'm sure she got rid of the car because they could find her. Easy with that. If she just wanted to hide, run away, and get a different identity, I'm sure it's possible. She was she was a smart person. She could figure out something. She was no dummy. But I, I can't say she would have done that. I'd, I don't want to say she would have done it, but like, it's, like like you said, it's a possibility. But I just can't imagine her doing that. And that car being gone and returning four days later, that part just seems funny. How often do you think about Shelley? Oh, I don't know. Every few months or so. I guess, is there anything... I didn't ask you that you were hoping I would ask or I should have asked or anything else you would like to say about Shelley's disappearance. Nothing I can think of. But the same thing I told her mom when she came to Burnt Creek Club after she was missing. I said, if she would walk in here now, I'd give her a big hug and then I'd turn her around and kick her in the butt. Put a lot of people through a lot, actually. If she, if she, if she ran away, I should say. Yes. Mr. Holmes, thank you so much for speaking with us. We really appreciate it. Okay. Bye. After the break, we will talk more about the swimming pool incident, and I'll play for you the full police report from interviews with the two railroad workers. Let's look a little closer at that occurrence at the Comfort Inn Hotel swimming pool about 15 hours after Shelley dropped off Jaden. On Sunday night, July 31st, 1994, Shelley was seen talking to two railroad workers outside the Elbow Room Bar at 1 a.m. We don't know what Shelley did that night, only that she picked up Jaden the next morning at 10.30 a.m. Due to this sighting, Bismarck investigators wanted to follow up on which railroad workers were in town that week. 
Maybe Shelly made some new friends. Maybe a railroad worker might be able to help locate Shelly. Also, Shelly's car was found at the Comfort Inn Hotel parking lot, a hotel that routinely hosted railroad workers. So, back in 94, Detective Walls called up an investigator for the railroad and asked if he could help them identify who these two railroad workers were that Shelly spoke with on Sunday. The investigator did provide four names, and he told Walls that he'd learned that two of the men had been kicked out of the swimming pool at around 3 a.m. on August 3rd, which would have been about 15 hours after Shelly dropped off her son. Tony Holm, now after listening to the first three episodes of this podcast, has shared with us that he recalls Shelly calling him up, stating she'd been thrown out of the hotel pool. It's hard to know what to make of all of this. Tony Holm never mentioned any of this to law enforcement back in 1994, but he wasn't asked about it either, really. Today, Tony's memory is that this happened on early Monday morning, not early Wednesday morning. Of course, it's possible that Shelley's swimming pool occurrence is a different occurrence than the one involving the railroad workers. All I know is that this is interesting, and so I'm going to play for you now the full police report about all this, narrated by a colleague of mine. I went to the Comfort Inn to meet with Mitch Marr. Marr is an engineer with the BN Railroad and a guest at the Comfort Inn the night of 8294. I met with Marr at his room and explained why I was there. I showed him the picture of the missing subject, and he stated that he had never seen her before. He stated that he thought the reason that I wanted to talk to him was because when he had come into the motel last night, 81294, one of the people that he was with saw the poster in the lobby and made the statement that Jolson looked like the girl Marr was in the pool with on 8294. Marr thought the motel clerk overheard the comment and called us. I asked Marr about the night of 8294. He could not recall to many details. He went to Borrowed Bucks that evening with Daryl Helbing, another BN employee, and met two women. He could not tell me what the names of the women were. I asked what he called them, and he told me that he only knew the first name of Linda. Marr stated that both of the women that they were with were blonde, close to 40 years old, and they were a lot thinner than Jolson. He stated that they were never at the elbow room. Marr told me that they came back to the motel with the women in a car belonging to one of the women. He could not tell me what kind of vehicle it was, other than he thought that it was a station wagon. He stated that it was definitely not the Thunderbird in the picture that I had shown him. I asked Mar about what happened at the pool that night. He told me that he did not really remember. I asked what the women were wearing in the pool. He stated that he could not recall. They were in the pool and some guy in a cowboy hat was making a disturbance about some beer. He did not know who the cowboy was. After they left the pool, the women left the motel. They did not stay with Mar or Helbing. Mar went to his room and went to bed. The next day, 8-3-94, Marr and Helbing took the train to Fargo and got off at Dilworth, Minnesota. He stated that Jolson was not on the train. Before leaving, I told Marr that it appeared that his memory was a little fuzzy. I asked if it was because he had a lot to drink. He told me that he had only a couple of drinks, that he was just bad at remembering things like makes of cars. Marr told me that I should talk to Daryl Helbing, who was at the motel at this time, too.
I contacted Daryl Helbing at his room and explained why I was there. He basically confirmed what Marr had told me. Helbing's memory was somewhat better. Helbing stated that the two women that they picked up at Bucks were both blonde, slim, and 35 to 40 years old. He had no names of the women, but thought that they were from the Bismarck area. He stated that neither woman was Jolson. He told me that they had returned to the motel in a car driven by one of the females. The car was a yellow Toyota Corolla. Helbing stated that they went to the pool and were swimming with the women. I asked if the women had changed into bathing suits. He stated that none of them were wearing anything, and that this was partly why they were told to leave the pool. I asked about the tattoo on Jolson's left shoulder. He stated that neither of the women had a tattoo. Helbing stated that a guy had followed them from the bar in another vehicle, but he never saw what it was. This subject was wearing a cowboy hat and making a lot of noise over some beer. This got the attention of the management, who kicked them all out of the pool. Helbing stated that he went back to his room alone and was late getting up for work. He rode in a different vehicle to the train yard than Mar. The train that he was on that morning went to Fargo and Helbing got off in Dilworth. I asked if anyone was on the train who was not a part of the crew. He told me that there was none. He stated that anyone could hop the train cars, but unless the whole crew was a part of it, it would be impossible to sneak someone aboard the engine. Again, what you just heard was from police reports found in Shelley Juleson's cold case file. The swimming pool thing is of perhaps new interest now, only because Tony Holm claims he recalls that Shelley was thrown out of a swimming pool around the time she went missing. It's hard to say how these things are connected or not connected. It's been 28 years since Shelley vanished, and that's plenty of time for memories to get eroded and fuzzy. As you heard, the police report was very specific about the time of this event. It states that these four people were ejected from the swimming pool at 3 a.m. on Wednesday, August 3rd. That's 15 hours after Shelley dropped off Jaden on Tuesday, August 2nd, around noon. And perhaps people getting ejected from swimming pools was a common occurrence. Perhaps Shelley's late-night experience was on another occasion altogether. It's hard to know. What is interesting, though, are the many references to railroad workers we find in this story, at the Elbow Room, at the Comfort Inn where Shelley's car was found. But what does it all mean? That's a tough question to answer. But I do know this. We are not done attempting to figure it all out. I'd like to talk to the two men, Helbing and Marr, and see if they recall that night. Or, for that matter, if you are one of the two women who were with them that night and got thrown out of the pool, please contact me. And there are other things still to explore and yet to come in this season of Dakota Spotlight. I'd like to speak with Rick Snell, the former employee at Great Lines, who failed to return to work on August 3rd, 1994. He lives in Montana today. Perhaps he has a phone. Perhaps he will talk to me. And to be thorough, I still want to learn more about the police officer named Don Schaefer that Shelley said had harassed her. It looks like he was arrested in 1996, and I'm attempting to get a hold of the incident reports about all of that. I'm sure there are other stones yet unturned, too. 
We will keep looking for them, and when we find them, we'll do our best to flip them over and see if we can find any trace of Michelle Juleson, otherwise known as Shelley. If you have any thoughts on this case or information or tips, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thank you again for listening to Dakota Spotlight. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, written, researched, and recorded by me, James Walner. Special thanks to my colleagues at Forum Communications for lending us their voices. That's Jim Manny, Trisha Tarinskas, Chris Kurzman, and Jeremy Fugelberg. Music by Wowza in Kalamazoo. You can check them out by searching Wowza in Kalamazoo on bandcamp.com. And why not join the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group or follow me on Twitter at Dakota Spotlight. Once again, until next time, thank you so much for listening to Dakota Spotlight.
Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.